Hello everybody, welcome back to UFOs and other paranormal stuff. This is Andy, as always. I hope you're all doing well. Thank you very much for listening, especially to the last episode about government cover-ups. It was an interesting episode to make, and I hope that Boris and his friends up in Barhead have received some more information on the things that they were looking for. Boris, if you're listening, please let me know how you're getting on with that. This week's episode, a little bit different. It's actually recorded on location around London. As you know, Halloween is just a couple of days away. Uh, it's actually on Sunday. So myself and my nephew decided to go out and do some on-location recording in London. And to tell you some ghost stories of some famous places around the capital city of Great Britain. Hello everybody, welcome to UFOs and other paranormal stuff. This is Andy, recording from Hampton Court. Yes, we are out and about at Hampton Court. It is today me, myself and my nephew PJ as well, although he's a bit, bit shy. He doesn't want to say anything on microphone. Hampton Court, the spectre of silver stick stairs. A sad white wraith carrying a lighted taper is said to be Henry VIII's third wife, Jane Seymour. She died from post-birth complications at Hampton Court only a few days after delivering Henry's longed-for son, Prince Edward. While delighted with his male heir, the king was devastated at the sudden loss of his perfect queen. A pale figure is reported to appear on the silver stick stairs, which once led up to a room in which Jane gave birth and died. On the anniversary of Edward's birth in October 1537. The Screaming Queen Henry VIII's fifth wife, Catherine Howard, was as wild as Jane Seymour was mild. Catherine's ghost is far more vocal and sightings more regularly reported. Catherine was beheaded at the Tower in 1542 at the age of 19 for adultery and treason. It is claimed that after she was arrested at Hampton Court, the terrified teenager broke free of her guards. She ran along what is now called the Haunted Gallery, screaming out to the King for mercy. She never reached Henry, who was at prayer in the chapel. Guards dragged her away and she never saw Henry again. It is said that her anguished ghost now repeats this heartbroken journey, screaming through eternity. Yes, Hampton Court, ladies and gentlemen, that famous old building that used to be frequented by Henry VIII and, of course, his cardinals uh, way back when, I think six, seven hundred years ago. My history is not as good as it should be. Nevertheless, on to the next location in London. If you walk past this place, you would have no idea about its paranormal history. It's just a normal house. That was until the 1970s, the late 1970s, early 1980s, when events started to occur to the children who lived in this house. Witnesses to these paranormal events include a policewoman and articles were even written in the daily newspapers at the time. Of course, I'm talking about the house that has received fame through the film Conjuring 2, The Haunted House 
of Green Street in Enfield in North London. We're coming to you from Enfield now. Enfield, the North London town that was made famous because of an incident that happened in the late 1970s to the early 1980s. In August 1977, single parent Peggy Hodson called the police to her rented home in Enfield, claiming that she had witnessed furniture moving and that two of her four children had said that had heard knocking sounds from the walls. The children included Margaret, aged 13, and Janet, aged 11. A police constable said that she saw a chair wobble and slide, but could not determine the cause of the movement. Later, claims included disembodied voices, loud noises, thrown toys, overturned chairs, and children levitating. Over a period of 18 months, more than 30 people, including the neighbours, psychic researchers and journalists, said they variously saw heavy furniture moving of its own accord, objects being thrown across a room and the daughters seeming to levitate several feet off of the ground. Many also heard and recorded knocking noises and a gruff voice. The story was covered in the Daily Mirror newspaper until reports came to an end in 1979. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that was the infamous events that took place at the Enfield House in the 1970s and the 1980s. And like I said just before, they went on to make a movie, The Conjuring 2, about the Enfield haunting. There has been many videos made about it on YouTube, of course, but quite a few professional dramas made about it too. It's a very interesting story, especially as it actually went onto the national TV at the time and into the national press, which even then was unheard of. You never get that kind of thing in the nationals in those days. It would seem that Enfield is quite a haunted place. There's many more uh, bits of paranormal activity that have gone on around the town. We've been very lucky to receive quite a few emails and stories from people who live in Enfield and have sent us uh, those stories to read out on the podcast. The first one, The Cavalier, location Enfield, North London. person wants to remain anonymous, by the way. When I was about seven years old, around 1977, I went to a friend's house after school for dinner. She lived in a very small terraced house. We were upstairs in her bedroom playing a board game. She left the room to go to the bathroom and on her way back she screamed so I went to see what was wrong. She was standing in the landing and pointing towards a cavalier who was standing a few feet away from us. It wasn't how I imagined a ghost would look. It was like an aluminous green outline, very detailed with a belt that had a sword in it, a hat with a feather and knee-high boots. There was a sound like an electronic hum coming from it. The landing was very narrow and it was next to a small table, which meant that we couldn't pass it, so closed our eyes and ran through it to get to the stairs. We ran down the stairs and stood at the bottom of the stairs, looking back up to the landing. The cavalier floated backwards towards the top of the stairs, and looked down at us. 
The green outline changed to red and it disappeared into the wall. I was hysterical by this point and I asked her parents to call mine to come and collect me. I can't remember what their reaction to it was, but my mum can still remember coming to pick me up. I didn't tell anyone else because I didn't think that they would believe me. Five or six years later, and now at secondary school, we were talking about the ghost stories one lunchtime. One of my friends began telling us about a time when she had visited the same house and described seeing the same thing as me, except her sighting was at the bottom of the stairs. We had never discussed what I had seen beforehand. Years later, and by now married, I was walking home from the pub with another friend and her dad. I told her dad the story and where the house was. He said that he had lived down there, down the same road, when he was growing up, but on the opposite side of the street. One day he was sitting in the living room, and a booted foot came out of the fireplace. Because the boot had a high heel on it, he thought it was a woman's boot, but after hearing my story, said it might have belonged to the Cavalier as well, as they wore boots with quite high chunky heels on them. He was amazed to find this out after all of this time. Another one goes, Forty Hall, Enfield. Around eight years ago, my mum and her friend Hazel visited a manor house near us called Forty Hall. The house is open to the public, and you can just go in and wander around. They had looked around the ground floor and went upstairs to look around the bedrooms. When they got to the top stairs, my mum felt a little uneasy and dizzy, but she carried on looking around with her friend. It wasn't until they went back downstairs that a friend told her that when they went into one of the bedrooms, Rainton's bedroom, Someone appeared to be under the covers of the bed. She could see what looked like a dark mop of hair on the pillow. When they told me about it, I searched it online to see what I could find about it. Apparently the public didn't used to, go, didn't used to have access to every room as they do now. Rainton's bedroom used to be cordoned off and you could only look into the room rather than walking into it. The staff used to check the house before locking up and quite often used to find the bedclothes in this bedroom disturbed as if someone had slept in the bed. So there you go ladies and gentlemen, it would seem that Enfield is probably one of the most haunted towns in the greater London area. Go and have a look, have a little look round but of course be respectful to the people that live on Green Street. It is after all a residential house on a residential street. Of course, ladies and gentlemen, the best way to get to these places around London is to go by the London Underground. Being a very old network and of course being underground, virtually 48% of it is constantly in darkness. There is no better mode of transport around anywhere in which to do a paranormal podcast.
King William Street Tunnel is one of the oldest and longest disused tunnels on the underground network, stretching from Borough Station on the Northern Line to the north side of London Bridge. It closed in 1900, but to commemorate its 100-year centenary in 1990, London Transport commissioned photographs to be taken inside the tunnel to appear in a centenary publication. One of the photographs shows what appears to be a silhouetted figure over on the left of the tunnel. Although no one else was there at the time, a medium was called to the location and claimed that the photographer had captured an image of the ghost of a man who died while breaking up a fight amongst the navvies while the tunnel was being built. Vauxhall is on the Victoria Line, and we used it a couple of times on this day to get around London. Uh, it's on the Victoria Line, south of the River Thames, a line which didn't open until March 1969, but in December 1968, it had the rather unusual experience of being featured in an edition of The People. The article was nothing to do with the pending opening. It was because the line had acquired a reputation of being haunted by a giant figure, said to be seven feet tall and wearing brown overalls and a cloth cap, he was seen regularly by diggers in the workings, yet no one could ascertain who he was or why he was there. Aldgate Station, a beautiful old style station, one of the nicest looking stations on the underground network. It dates from 1876, when it was built immediately next to St. Botolph's Church, which contained the site of one of the biggest 17th century plague pits in London. In 1722, the English novelist Daniel Defoe wrote a journal of the plague year, describing how they dug the great pit in the churchyard of our parish of Aldgate, about 40 feet in length, 15 or 16 foot broad, nearly 20 foot deep, putting in 50 or 60 bodies, then they made larger holes, burying all that the cart brought in a week. The plague raged in a dreadful manner, and in just two weeks they had thrown 1,114 bodies. It is believed that when the time is right, some form of miasma from the decomposed bodies that have impregnated the soil seeps through into the tunnels. Could this be why Aldgate Station has a spooky air about it? Over the years, there have been persistent tales of hauntings and the sound of footsteps echoing across sleepers late at night. Sometimes the footsteps are accompanied by whistling. In the 1950s, an electrician was carrying out essential maintenance on the rail tracks at Aldgate when a station manager happened to glance towards him and was surprised to see a grey-haired old lady stroking the man's head. Needless to say, no such person should have been present. Moments later, a mistake in the control room sent 2,000 volts surging down the track, and although the electrician was thrown backwards and knocked unconscious, he survived the surge of current through his body and had no lasting effects. When told about the vision of the grey-haired lady, seen only moments before by the station manager, the electrician was convinced that she was his guardian angel who that night had saved his life. By touching him, she had put a spiritual protection on him. 
In the winter of 1974-75, a gang of maintenance engineers on the approach to Moorgate Station saw a figure in blue overalls approaching, but before reaching them he disappeared. They all instinctively felt this was a former line maintenance worker who had been killed on the spot, and his appearance was a premonition or portent of doom. They were right. Only a few weeks later, on the morning of 28th of February 1975, a southbound train entered the platform at about 40 miles an hour. The average speed is 20.5 miles an hour. Without slowing down, it crashed headlong into the concrete wall. 43 people died and 74 were seriously injured. It was the single worst accident in terms of fatalities on the London Underground. The verdict was anti-accidental death, but why? The driver was an experienced, reliable, conscientious man who moments before the crash had been seen attending to his duties. After the maintenance workers reported that they had seen the figure in blue overalls on the line, others came forward with similar tales of a phantom figure on the approach to the station. So did the driver see the same thing and panic? Before we knew it, we were in Berkeley Square. Number 50 Berkeley Square is one of the most haunted buildings in the whole city of London. Hello again everyone, this time we are in Berkeley Square in the centre of London. Interesting place, it's quite a busy little square. PJ's looking at me, nodding. Thank you PJ. It's a funny little building that's got a uh, clown as a front door. Yep, it's got a clown face as a front door. That's not number 50, by the way. That's what, number 44? I don't know, something like that. Anyway, number 50, Berkeley Square, the most haunted house in London. The terrifying story of London's haunted house, where someone literally died of fright. In the heart of Mayfair is a townhouse that looks much like all the other beautiful buildings in the area. Currently home to antique booksellers, Mags Brothers, and former home to Prime Minister George Canning, the grand four-floor building has a dark secret. 50 Berkeley Square is one of London's most notorious haunted houses, with three men dying from fright and one woman going insane only to die the next day after spending the night there. The house was home to a couple of people before, but in 1859, Thomas Myers moved in. This is where the mysterious events started to occur. Mr. Myers was soon to be married and had furnished the house for the soon-to-be Mrs. Myers, but he was jilted and the heartbroken Mr. Myers became a recluse. He is said to have locked himself away in the attic, only leaving the room by flickering candle at night until he went mad and died. A series of people who have stayed in this same attic have experienced a strange brown mist, many of them going insane or dying. A maid was sent up to the room to make a bed for a visiting man 
but no sooner had she gone upstairs did she let out a blood-curdling scream. The household rushed to her aid and found her collapsed on the floor, muttering to herself, Don't let it touch me. She died in hospital the next day. The man, Captain Kentfield, decided to still spend the night in the room and 30 minutes after heading to bed there, there was a terrible scream and the sound of a gunshot. He was found dead on the floor, his face twisted in terror. Another man, Lord Littleton, stayed the night in the attic armed with a shotgun. In the night he saw an apparition coming towards him and fired at it, later claiming that something fell to the floor like a rocket. But the next morning he couldn't find anything but the shotgun cartridges. One of the most well-known stories about the haunting of 50 Barclay Square is the tale of the two sailors who broke in, needing a place to stay. Bedding down in the attic, they were awoken in the night to the sound of footsteps coming up the stairs. As the door creaked open, they came face to face with a strange, shapeless creature with a huge, gaping mouth which seemed to slither into the room. Seized with panic, the two men tried to make their escape. One backed up towards the window, while the other rushed past the creature and made his way down the staircase to the safety of the street. The escaped man returned with a police officer, only to find a smashed window. Looking out of the window, they saw the lifeless body of the sailor's friend, impaled on the iron railings below. In a book by Charles Harper titled Haunted Houses, he describes another case of a man dying from fear. The man was sceptical of the rumours of the hauntings and so decided to spend the night in the attic himself. Hello? Where are we now? We're on a boat on our way to Tower of London. What does the Tower of London look like? He said he doesn't know. Do you like boats? Yeah. Why do you like boats? Because they're fun and you can see, uh, when you're sitting at the back you, you feel the air. A nice breeze. Yes. Good. We are at the east end of central London now by the Tower of London. One of the most famous landmarks of London has been one of the most famous landmarks of London for over or near to a thousand years. It was built, I can't remember who by, but it's old. The Tower of London, Guy Fawkes, remember Guy Fawkes, he was the bloke who wanted to blow up Parliament. Guy Fawkes was taken to the Tower of London after his part in a plot to assassinate James I at Parliament in 1605. Imprisoned in the Queen's house, Guy Fawkes was subjected to intense torture, likely on the rack in the White Tower dungeons. If you listen closely, you can hear him scream. As ghost stories go, there are few as spooky as the tragic and as tragic as this one. When Henry VIII broke with the Roman Catholic Church to set aside his first wife, Catherine of Aragon, and become the supreme head of his new church, the Church of England, Anne Boleyn became Henry's second wife. 
just three years later and was accused of adultery and taken as a prisoner by barge along the River Thames to the Tower of London through the infamous Traitor's Gate and was beheaded on the Tower Green and laid to rest in the Chapel Royal at St Peter and Vincula, which is now known as St Peter in Chains, the parish church of the Tower of London. Some 340 years later, a soldier reported seeing a light burning in the closed chapel. After climbing to a window to look within the soldier, he said to have seen a procession of knights and ladies led by a headless Anne Boleyn. A little bit before that, Henry III housed his menagerie of wild animals at the Tower of London, including a gift of either lions or leopards from the Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II in 1235. Pumas, tigers, jackals, an elephant from France and even a polar bear were to follow. Visitors came to the tower to see the creatures with a bear baiting going on, to, uh, going on to become a popular pastime in the 16th and 17th century and it seems the horrors of this pastime are still heard today with the ghost of the bear which is still said to appear from behind the door of the jewel room perhaps a spectral guard to the crown jewels the ghost of a black bear is also reported to have appeared near the martin tower in 1816 Known as the English Queen with the shortest reign, Protestant Lady Jane Grey became Queen after the death of King Edward IV. Or the V, can't remember. Son of King Henry VIII. Edward named Lady Jane Grey as her, his heir in his last will over his half-sister Mary. A pawn in Royal Power Games, the King's protector, John Dudley, had arranged for the 16-year-old Lady Jane Grey to marry his son, Lord Guildford Dudley. On, on Edward's death on the 6th of July, 1553, Lady Jane Grey became Queen, a title she was to hold for just nine days before the Council decreed that the Catholic Mary was the true ruler of England. Lady Jane Grey and her husband Dudley were executed on the infamous Tower Green, where I sit right now. The white figure of Jane is said to haunt the battlements of the Tower of London to this day. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, our little day out recording some fun little ghost stories from around London. Once again, if you have any stories of any kind of paranormal activity, UFO, alien activity, anything, alien abductions even, anything at all, please do send me an email to UFOs and other paranormal stuff. And once again, if you like the show, please do make a donation at buymeacoffee.com forward slash UFOs. It would be very much appreciated. And it would probably even go on to fund some more outdoor location recordings. Thank you very much for listening. Take care, and I will speak to you all very, very soon. Happy, Happy Halloween. Halloween.